another episode of the Richmond Bigfooty Tiger Cast. Uh, this week is, uh, it, it pains me to say, but we're having to jump on board after a loss, which is very, very rare. So our two guests tonight should consider themselves very, very unlucky. But uh, I'm sure we'll push through and give a, a good show nonetheless. Speaking of the guest, our first one is a rider for AFL Draft Central, Jim99. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. And how did you get into the riding with Draft Central? Is that with Bishop, I believe? Um, no, well, I actually well? more focus on the women's side, which okay. um, is a bit interesting, a bit different. Um, like, of course, I'd rather go for the men's, but I felt like I had to start somewhere. Um, one of my friends from uni got approached to um, be the head rider for the women's side of Draft Central when it started this year. Yep. Um, she's the head media person for the EDFL, um, like, uh, media stuff so she's like oh do you want to be a part of my team and I was like yeah because <laughs> it's the start so I might as well give it a shot yeah, yeah well you've got to start somehow so no that's good and uh, yeah. how did you become a Richmond supporter I guess I was born into the family <laughs> do you really get much of a choice no that's always the best way and your yeah. favourite your favourite grand final moment oh, I guess the only grand final moment I've been alive for was last year <laughs> Was there a particular that, yeah, moment that good. you enjoyed the most, or I mean, besides the? I reckon um, it was last year when I like when I was um, I was like the only person in my family that got to go to the game. I remember like last um, last quarter, I was there by myself. I was just there with these random guys I've met before. But I remember uh, it was probably like the five minute mark of last quarter. We knew we were going to win. I, remember, I was there with these two blokes on the side of me. I remember we were all crying, hugging. I didn't even know who they were. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that a lot of people have said and done that. It's. Uh, it made the experience a hell of a lot better just sharing it with a heap of people that you really yeah, you don't yeah. even know, like you said, but we're, we're all there for the same reason. They yeah, couldn't see a Crows fan in sight, so <laughs> that oh, was that's right. good. And our second guest had three players from his school footy team and class at high school all went on to play AFL footy, which were Tory Dixon, James Magna and Alex Silvani. Cocho, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for having me. And um, how did you go playing with these blokes in your younger days? Um, yeah, it was good, but we weren't as good as what you'd imagine because they were sort of... Well, Jimmy was always... James Magna, he was always a gun and sort of the player that he turned out to be in the AFL, even though his career was quite short. Um, he sort of... I'm not sure if you'd remember him, but he burst onto the scene and he was collecting Brownlow votes and everything for Melbourne and then he just sort of fell out of favour and got dropped. But the other two boys in particular, were real late bloomers. So Tori, he was a tennis player, and he he was a gun tennis player. He was in the year 12 sort of team in year 7. He was a freak sportsman, but he wasn't really big into footy, and he was never sort of considered a footy player. And Alex was a bit the same. He was sort of pretty sporty, but he was a real skinny, small kid. I suppose one of those guys that uh, just bloomed really late. Yeah, with um, James Magna, he actually plays down at our local club near me, Berwick, and he's just a, a battering ram. He's just so much physically stronger than a lot of the guys he plays against. Um, so if he was anything like that yeah, in his junior days, to... he would have been hard to stop. Yeah, well, that we used to play for Beaky. Oh, okay, so, then. Beaconsfield, so where we um, where the VFL guys travel down to a bit. So, um, But yeah, Alex, his... His mum was Anglo-Indian and his dad was Italian, so he used to just come into school with these epic lunches and then he just <laughs> he grew from 160 centimetres in year nine to just a giant. So, um, yeah, they all ended up going on and having a pretty 
Oh, very good. And uh, what about yourself? How did you become a Richmond supporter? That was through my granddad, actually. Um, so my my mum's side, they're Saints fans um, and mad into it. My uncle's the club dentist at St Kilda, so it's probably a pretty appropriate um, podcast for me to be on. Um, and my dad's side, they're Collingwood. But it was just that my granddad back for Richmond, he sort of taught me how to kick the footy and everything. And I just, you know, when you're in prep or grade one, one of those years, I just thought, no, nah, I'm going to go for the Tigers. They're pretty cool. And never looked back since. And no. what was your favourite grand final moment? Um, it's funny because I can't even really remember too much of the grand final now because I've watched the replay so many times that I sort of, I'm only watching it through the sort of replay, um, which is a bit funny to say, but I think my best, my favourite moment was um, going into the ground. I got in at about 8am because I didn't get in the Richmond ballot. I got a um, a mate's MCC. So I went in at about 8am and there was literally no one in the stadium. And they had this um, real sort of down, gloomy music. I think it might have been even like Mad World. And I just sat in my seat and I was just looking out into the ground and I was so emotional. I, I, I actually teared up before the game and I didn't after the game. It was really, it was really yeah, strange. <laughs> You've done it backwards. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, everyone handles those kind of days differently. I, actually, I thought I would cry, but I just was that excited and that happy at about three-quarter time that, yeah, it, it didn't really, the emotion didn't really ever come over me like that, which was weird. But, yeah. All right, we'll yeah, mine was all the... a bit premature. But no, that's all right. It was all worth it in the end, though. <laughs> so... That's it. We'll move on to the roast and toast this week, which I'm sure will be interesting given the game on the weekend. Uh, Jim99, you've got the toast first up for us. What have you got? Um, I think Jack was probably our best performed player, despite like what happened at a time with his uh, five goals. Could have kicked seven or eight, I think, in the end. He's played pretty well. Um, I think Edwards, as well, was another shining light for us in... Not many were with his um, creative handballing. I like the way he plays, to be honest. And yeah. Dusty, like, he's still got... What was that? I was going to say, Edwards, he was amazing. I even commented. I yeah. think a few people did on the game day thread that he, he had to take a bow in that second quarter. He was huge. Oh. Yeah, and um, like Dusty, he got 26. So wasn't he like he's... didn't have a real effective game, but he still managed to rack them up. To, like Not to his bet, like standard, but was still a good performer for us. That's about it, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, no, there's, fair enough. There's not much else to taste. So we'll get to, yeah, I'll, not really, no. Go, I'll go into a bit more detail on the possession count after, but yeah, Dusty tried his guts out. I still think he's carrying something, yeah. but um, Titch and Jack were exceptional, so they were very, very worthy of being toasted. Uh, and Cocho, you had the roast for us this week? Oh, where do we start? Um, I, I'm i going to leave a couple of roasts for the sort of next section of the podcast when we go into the game, but... The main roast, and it's been brewing for a few weeks, or even all season, was our goal kicking. I just, the the number of opportunities that we had were just regulation shots in the second quarter in particular were just, it was really the difference in the game up till, you know, I suppose three quarter time, and then we just simply weren't good enough. But those set shots, they they just need to be taken and we didn't, and they did, and they were kicking from everywhere, and it really um, paid dividends for them and cost us. 
yeah, did. Um, I think in that second quarter, with the amount of inside fifties we had, there's every possibility that we could have been up by five or six goals at half time if we had a kick straight. And I, it felt like not that long ago that goal kicking used to be one of our strengths, and we didn't have many well, not all that long ago. But now, yeah, it's just gone really, really pear shaped. And a few of us have said for a while that it's eventually going to cost us a game, and last week was a prime example of that. Yeah, and I mean, the back end of last year, I think we were pretty good with Towner and um, Jack. It seemed to be all clicking, and Caddy's a pretty good set shot. So, yeah, you're right. And then this year, it's just, yeah, it's it's gone the other way, and it's it's disappointing because it's one of those things that you get. There's a lot of commentary around it, uh, you know, in the game about you know, oh, for a hundred years, the the goal kicking hasn't improved and. What are they? Why aren't they practicing it? But I guess with the modern management, what you've got to instruct to the guys and just how professional all the areas are. There's only a certain amount of time that you can dedicate to that one area. Yeah, with the training. Yeah, absolutely. But the the one for me on the weekend that really had, had probably annoyed me the most was when Castagna has opted to kick around the body from about 35 yeah. out, really not on that tight of an angle, let's be honest. Like It's not like he was on the boundary line. And it's like, you know what, you paid X amount of dollars to be a forward. Those kinds of shots on goal should be regulation drop punts. Mm. Do you think it's a confidence thing, though? Do you think he's just thinking, oh, if I kick a drop punt, oh, oh, I'm going to slice it or, you know, I'm going to, you know, hook it off in, out on the full. I'd rather snap it around the corner. Yeah, possibly. Could be confidence, but, I mean, that's when the coaches should be telling him, no, in that kind of angle, you need to back yourself to be able to kick a drop punt. Because, yeah, that mm. that was really bizarre. And the commentators even said as much as well. But, yeah, that we've got to find our goal-kicking shoes very quickly. Yeah, I feel like there's more room for error with um, going around the corner like Estena did there, to be honest, though. Yeah, 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 definitely. And especially that distance out. Because the thing is, if you're in close, yeah, okay, you can get some good... You don't have to really get that much purchase on the ball you just kind of dob it through but when you're 35 40 meters out trying to snap around the corner what hope do you have even if you kick it well yeah because you've got to try and make up a whole heap of distance because you don't get that same penetration from around the body so sometimes they overcompensate and kick it too hard and they start spraying it you even look at exactly. uh, jack darling tried to do a banana from 50 meters and he Shopping. 30 metres out directly in front they, okay they took on a mark from it but that's not, that's not where it was meant to go but it just shows how yeah. difficult of a kick it is from those kind of distances yeah that was when I knew that it wasn't our day Agreed. when it just fell in their lap yeah when stuff like that happens it's like okay there's not much else we can do here to, to win the game <laughs> but uh, speaking of the game we'll get the, the hard stuff out of the way uh, the review of the round nine game against the Eagles, who won. They kicked 20 goals, 10-130, defeated Richmond 12-11-83 by 47 points, which now throws them into first position and we're back down to second, which isn't the worst thing in the world. So still got to be happy sitting in second spot after round nine. Cotjo, uh, I'll start with you. Where do you think the game was won and lost? Um, I think primarily, well, partly due to selection, um, and I know where Dimmer and the coaches are coming from, and especially last year where everyone was telling us, oh, you know, you can't win finals without a second tall and you must play in this way. And we basically just said, get stuff to everyone and we played our own way. Um, and it really worked for us. But 
I feel like on those those narrow grounds, the same as when you go down and play at the Cattery, the the guys that are good aerial teams, like Eagles, they're probably the best aerial team when you look at they've got Darling Kennedy, even that Archie bloke was popping up with marks, then they've got their roaming Ruckman and then of course McGovern down back. They've it was it seemed like that was the game where we should have had an extra tall that could have competed with that ball down the line because you're missing that five metre, ten metre width that you have at the MCG. So you just you suffer and those tall boys just get in the right position and there's not much you can do and for some reason Towner and Jack weren't able to nullify those contests, which they normally do. And as you saw, every time it went down and it looked like Rance was gonna take a mark their boys were so diligent with just spoiling and getting the ball over the boundary and causing a stoppage that um, we couldn't do it and they could, and I think that was a huge factor. And, uh, Jim, I mean, full credit obviously goes to the West Coast for the way they played. What did you make of their ball movement? It was something that I felt we hadn't seen before against us for a while. Yeah, they were, like, really clean. Like, their their marking especially, they just wouldn't drop anything. (laughs) It It was just like nothing wouldn't go their way. But like, because their disposal efficiency is like seventy five percent. Like, that's just crazy. Like, I think we were just just about fifty. Like, seventy five is like, oh, <laughs> that hardly happens. Like, forty three percent inside. Like, um, but they'd get a goal per inside fifty. Like, it was just like, like stuff you would just wouldn't see. Like, <laughs> it was just like, it was like everything was just, was going their way. Like, nothing would go away. But like, you have those days, I guess. Like, but we did have thirteen more inside fifties as well. Though. Like, we should have capitalized, but they, we just didn't. They were just somewhat, They were just more efficient. And that was the difference. Every time they went inside 50, their blokes, their forwards were taking marks. And that was largely, I felt, because our midfielders and forwards weren't running back hard enough to defend and they left yeah. all our defenders 1-1. Right, right. And Kennedy, yeah. Darling, um, Lysett, when he's down there, they're all very good marks of the ball and very strong players. Mm. So if we can't you know, work a double team on them effectively, then, yeah, anyone's going to get outmarked by those guys. Yeah. And speaking but of... Like with the- yeah, was that? Oh, you go, you go. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I think that they were using that short kick a lot, which the commentators were pointing out in the first half, and it was it sort of was a two pronged factor in the game. The first was that they kind of controlled the tempo and they didn't allow us to get the speed and counter attack like we normally do. But I think the other thing was that it was perfect because we didn't have those tools down the line. They would they would chip up chip up, chip up, and our midfielders eventually, who normally are running back and pushing down to help out the defence, they they couldn't. They had to get dragged up. Oh, shit, I've got to go. Oh, sorry, Michael. <laughs> um, they, they would go and um, pick up, say, Gaff. Oh, I've got to go grab this guy, which meant that then the defenders were all just one out, and it was um, it was a masterstroke, really, and I hope that Dim has sort of downloaded that now, and it, as you know from last year, we didn't we didn't lose to anyone twice. They beat us the first time. We had the um, the coaches managed ready to go beat them. So let's hope next time. So what changed then in the second quarter? Because in the second quarter we were all over them, and that that game style they employed in the first quarter just was non-existent. Yeah, well, it's funny because I was saying to my to my mates, just a WhatsApp group, saying you know it's a new stadium. There's that. That shadow across the ground, you guys noticed that? Yeah, that was quite annoying. Yeah, it was just an awkward sort of game to be playing. And I thought that once we 
we broke even in the second in the second quarter. I thought that we had worked them out, and that you know we had played a, not a not a hugely bad first quarter, but it was it was down. And then I thought this is the real game. Oh, this is the second quarter. This is now we're going to run over the top of them. I was I was very very confident, and I thought that was it. But I I'm I don't know. I think that the second quarter they were probably just down. We normally say, oh, we, you know, we had one bad quarter. Um, I reckon we had one good quarter and they had one bad quarter. That's it's as simple as that. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. And Jim, the player that I want to ask you about is Daniel Butler. What did you make of his game and even his last couple of games? Has he still been on point or has he dropped his form a little bit? Where do you think he's at? I feel like he's been a little bit off, but I feel like you can't really like judge as like one player on a game like yesterday when there was like so many that were off. I feel like it's, I'd rather him in the team instead of get Stagno, for example. Like I feel like Butler gives us more speed. I feel like he's a lot more proficient than Butler. Like Butler, like um, that shot that Stagno had. I don't feel like Butler would go for a step around the corner straight in front like Stagno did. Like yeah, um, Butler's, Butler's a good yeah. set shot at goal, but. Yeah. I suppose his issue is I feel like he lacks awareness and looks very complacent. Like he gets the ball and he's got some serious speed, but I don't feel like he uses it until he thinks he has to, whereas if he used it from the start, he'd get away from half the people trying to chase him. And yeah, I feel like he needs a bit more reassurance in himself. Yeah. like He's he got turn- no peripheral vision. No, he, t- he runs straight into tacklers trying to split between two people that are a metre apart from each other. It's kind of funny <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of the Saints, he's like bloody um, Justin Kaczynski. Remember him? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Get knocked Sir, out. Jim Syracuse, I think it was, cleaned him up. But it's just yeah. bizarre that uh, he's got all the traits and the attributes to break the lines and do all those kinds of things, but some of the decisions he makes when he's got the ball are just mind-blowing. And that stupid little dinky look-away bullshit yeah. kick inside 50 that went mm-hmm. to no one, like that might work one out of ten times and look great, but that's not a, that's not a percentage play. You need to, inside 50, make sure we're hitting our targets and getting shots on goal. It reminded me of a kick of Brian Ellis's new grand final that came off for a, a goal. I can't remember who kicked it, but I remember just a little dinky kick that like went like two meters, nothing kicked, but no one thought anything of it because it worked out. But when it doesn't work out, like partly yesterday, it looks terrible. Really think, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the last thing I want to mention on the game before we move on, and um, it was mentioned at the start with Dusty getting 26 disposals, which was our uh, most possession getter for the team. The next best was Kane Lambert on 19. So we only had one player with over 20 disposals. That's pretty alarming, isn't it, Cocho? Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't good. And I thought that our midfield was going to beat theirs, especially that they didn't have Shuey. Remember? Yeah. Um, and I know we were missing Prestia, but yeah, that was that was quite disappointing. And it seemed that I don't know. What did you think with the? I know, like the overall possession count, but. If you look at the um, centre clearances, we won our fair share, but it seemed like we were going all out attack. So if we won it, we won it and really went forward. And if they won it, they were just so damaging once they got it out of there. And it, were we were we defending at all like we normally do? Oh, I don't think we were. Like It just seemed like we were pushing forward a lot harder than usual, but it just felt like every time they went forward, there was it was under zero pressure, which is why they... <laughs> We're able to take so many marks inside fifty. Mm. I feel yeah. like um, with Nanui, like with the best, like because he had such an advantage over Nankervis, that like I feel like Ruck though, it's not that doesn't have that much of an impact. But when you have uh, someone that's so much better than the opposition, Ruck, like um, Nanui, like 
the reason they were getting so many balls easy inside the 50 is because under no pressure. It's just because they had so much good ball down their throats and like and I knew it. It's just were I not I like Nankovic. He gives us a lot, but sometimes against the better Auckland, we just get found out a lot. And then you've got the other times when Griggs in the ruck against Nat Nui and exactly. he chooses not to go up. So Nat Nui just grabs it, takes three steps and puts it inside 50. Like when, I know we didn't, don't play second ruckman very often, but when you see things like that, that's when I think yeah, you start readjusting your plans because you can't just let him have an inside 50 within two seconds of the ball being bounced. Mm. That's when he needed to touch. That was by Grig. Yeah, just lay I some kind they... of body on him, do something. Yeah, I think they would have had a plan that, you know, when Grigg goes in, and he's usually pretty good, I think it might have been just one more effort. Because he, his one job would have been, okay, just make sure that he doesn't grab it. And you can do that, any player can do that. It doesn't matter about your fight. So I don't know, I think maybe he just spread it. Oh, I'm sure we but can I go on and, and criticise the... Uh, yeah, we do. We need someone else to, to step up. But... I'm sure we can criticise them all all day, but I've got no doubt the boys will, will bounce back this week. We'll um, move on to the VFL update, who are going, who had a pretty good win on the weekend. Uh, Richmond 14-14-98, defeated Sandringham 4-9-33, winning by 65 points and still first on the ladder. The AFL-listed players' goal kickers were Moore with two, Choll with two, Bolton, Ellis, Corey Ellis, sorry, Stengel, Baker and Miles, all with one each. And the AFL-listed best players were Menadju, Markov, Coriolis, and Stengel. Uh, the obvious highlight for the game as well was it was good to see Rioli make his return to football, playing a half, and by all reports he got through okay. Um, Jim, what have you made of our VFL results so far? They've been pretty good this year. Yeah, I, thought, I can't remember the last time that a team had someone on the top of the AFL on top of the VFL. I thought, yeah, it's pretty impressive. That's uh, very good. And Cocho, the, the guys named in the best... Do you think we've added good enough depth and are they a chance to start coming into the side now and get some reward for effort? Yeah, well, I get a few brownie points because I mentioned Wheels manager in the week leading up to it and he didn't uh, put a foot wrong by all reports. I, not that I saw the game, but um, I'd roll, I'd be rolling him in now. I think 100%. that he's... Dimmer's pretty good. You know, He doesn't make changes to a winning team and that's fair enough. But I think that based on that performance last week... I think we're ready to see at least three guys come in who have been putting in the hard guards, and Wheels manager is one of them. Yeah, I really like what he's all about. I think he had an interrupted pre-season, but um, yeah, I've always thought he'd be a really good inclusion if he can get his body right. And once he, someone wrote it on the board today that once he gets into the team, he's the kind of person who's going to fight tooth and nail to make sure he doesn't come back out. Yeah, but he but it was weird that he got dropped last year because I remember he played a few good games and I was I wasn't a big fan of him when he first was getting picked because I thought, geez, who's this skinny little dweeb getting picked? <laughs> what he's going to just get knocked off the ball and stuff? But then he he really started to hit his stride and it it seemed like after his best game for the club, he bang he was out of the team. But worse, that's what happens with the depth. Yeah, I, I want him, I want him back in the team. Agreeing. And uh, we'll do an update for the VFLW team, who unfortunately had a loss on the weekend. They lost to Collingwood, who were 9-3-57, defeated Richmond 2-2-14 by 43 points. The goal kickers were Hocking and Ross. Uh, and one of you guys mentioned that uh, you went to the game, and that the goal from Ross, I think it was, was an absolute ripper. Is that right? Yeah, it was It was on the bit. We couldn't kick it from anywhere, like straight in front, but like Ross just um, kicked a soccer goal from the boundary possible angle. 
Yeah, it was, a, it was a good goal, yeah. Just watching a bit of Jack Rewalt's best works and just taking a leaf out <laughs> of his book. Yeah, a bit of Port Adelaide back in the day. Do you remember yeah. that? 2009. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good to see the, the women's team up and running, and even though they had a loss, I'm sure they'll bounce back as well And on our quest to becoming an AFLW team. Uh, we'll push on to, I want to do a player focus segment. Uh, the player I've picked this week to talk about is Camden McIntosh, who's really cemented himself probably from the early parts of last year. He was a bit up and down before that. Uh, Kocha, I'll start with you. How have you seen Camden's progression from 2017 to 2018? Um, he's a strange one, Camden, isn't he? He's, he's really hard to play. Sometimes he's almost like the player that we had too many of sort of five or six years ago. The guys that can do their best is amazing and you're thankful that they're in your team. But then they can just do some mind-bogglingly just stupid things. Sometimes he panics and just kicks it out on the full. Um, but he's he's a big boy and he provides a lot of runs. So I like him as long as he's he's sort of playing within his limitations, I think. That is the key, absolutely. Uh, and Jim, where do you think Camden's best position in the side is? Um. It's sometimes hard to tell with, with the areas he makes sometimes, but I think on the wing, because um, he's, he's got good running capabilities. Um, but sometimes he, I reckon we could throw him forward and be a cool option, because he is actually surprisingly a good set shot, considering he's not that very good of a field kick, to be honest. That is quite funny you say that, because often we're, when we're at games, he'll mark it, like, you know, 45 metres out or whatever, and everyone's like, oh, God, where's this going to go? And he just yeah. goes back and just slots it time after time. And it's yeah, like, yeah, so I feel like he could be a tall often. Yeah. That wouldn't be a an, an bad idea to try him down there at some stage, just for something a little bit different. Um, and so I think a couple of years ago, we did try him as a tall back. Um, it was like a third call back a couple of years ago, and then put, got put in the wing. I think that's where he's playing at the moment. Yeah, I think the wing's definitely his spot. Like you said, his running capability yeah. is the biggest asset Um Especially, I even like it when if the opposition key forward pushes up the ground, he can go with them and let Rancy and Asprey stay back. Like he can kind of cover to an extent to apply some kind of pressure. Um, and yeah, I think the wing's definitely his spot. Uh, Contre, yeah. what, what part of his game do you reckon he needs to improve on the most? Um, I'd, I'd say decision-making. There's a couple of guys in the team that are in a similar boat. I'd put Conker... And him in the same boat where they tend to panic a little bit when they've got the ball. And if they just they just keep a, a, a cool head, I think that's where they'll um, both just take their game to the next level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the last one, Jim, and this probably applies to a few players, not just Camden. So I don't want people to think I'm picking on him. But he's got to improve his left foot, surely. Like Playing AFL level, and a lot of players are guilty of it. Grigg was guilty of it, not using his opposite on the weekend. But is that a big part of his game that he's got to try and amend? Because it just seems like if you stay on his right side, you're probably going to cause a turnover. Yeah, I feel like that sometimes you'd rather go for banana and kick it about in the full than even just try on his left, which is a bit sad. So, so I feel like even at local level, most players can kick on their opposite foot. So... Surely at AFL level, they could even just try when there's no other option instead of just kicking him out of, out of bounce in the full sometime. Yeah. But no, we do we do love Camden. And um, as yeah. Redhead just, just sent, sent through a comment to us that K-Mac will fight for the ball, and that is absolutely spot on. He's, he's a competitor. Um, he's a different unit, but he's fitting into the team and playing his role perfectly well. So 
Um, it would be good to see him and Menager on opposite wings because the running capabilities of both of them would be a big benefit to the team. Well, who do you think is our best um, wing? Um, I guess twosome. You got like Macintosh, Edwards close down there, Grig, Menager, Macintosh. Yeah, what do you, what, what do you think? Um, I think Macintosh for his versatility would be one, but on the other wing. I still reckon it could be up for grabs. I mean, I'd like to see how Menager goes for four or five games, give him a stint. Edwards, I think, is more valuable in the middle with the quick handballs out. And Grig, yeah. I, I almost think the game's getting past Grig in terms of mm. the pace and all that kind of stuff compared to the other. Yeah, a little bit slow. So what about you, Kotri? Got anything, any thoughts on that one? No, I was, um, yeah, I was just sort of agreeing with Grig. And I've always liked Grig. Um he is looking ever slower, isn't he? And I just... I mean, it was his first game back against the Eagles, so we've got to give him, cut him a bit of slack. But um, again, the set shots that he missed, um, if he's not going to be athletic beast and, and be in the team for pace, which a lot of the guys seem to be, he needs to take those opportunities and, and do the skillful stuff. So, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah I, I tend to agree. The one thing with Grig, though, is he may not be a fast runner, but he's a smart footballer and he knows where to run. Um, so I think he'll definitely work into it a bit as he gets into a bit of form. But I mean, the other guy who was obviously touted for the wing position for a long time is Brandon Ellis, but I don't think he suited very well there at all. The time he did play there, I think he probably had one of his worst seasons. Not to mention he's in yeah, the I think a couple of seasons ago, um, I think it was, it was 2012 when he was in the All-Australian squad of 40. Was that on the half-back line, or was that um, on the wing? I don't know. I can't remember now that far back. Yeah. <laughs> but he did yeah, have... And, um, like, last year, in the game final, he played on half-back, which was obviously his better spot. Yeah, I think it's important with him, the people who you surround him with as well, that allow him to play a lot better. So, and a backline are a pretty good unit, and I think he thrives off that. But I think he's got a bit of a task ahead of himself to break back into the team, to be honest. Yeah. So I feel like he's a bit, uh, better like follower than a leader. Does that make any sense? Mm. All right, we'll push on to the preview of the round 10 game versus St Kilda. Uh, so the Saints, oh, I think, were largely tipped to have a, a pretty decent year this year, but it hasn't really gone according to plan for them. They're sitting 16th on the ladder with one win and one draw. And to be honest, and without being disrespectful to them, they've been underperforming massively this season. Um, they look like they're shot of confidence, but at the same time, internally, they're going to be looking to turn their season around and start getting a few wins on the board. Cotro, how do you see this game panning out? What do we need to do in order to get the win? Um, it's funny, the Saints, they'll be, they'll be really, really disappointed with their season. Is They've got it, you know, they were pretty hopeful. Um, I think they sort of fall down where we fall down, and that's conversion in front of goal. Um, and they take it a step forward, a step further. Sorry, I was I was watching them um, on the weekend against Collingwood, and their delivery inside fifty was just appalling. Um, but they do they do have a, a good top end, and I feel bad for some of the boys. With you look at Seb Ross, Jack Stephen, Geary, they've Dunstan, they've got. They've got good top end. They, they almost remind me of sort of Richmond 2010 and their depth from sort of player day eight down to 30 on their list just is putrid. And it seems seemed to me that whenever they got the ball out into space and they could have hurt Collingwood, they just absolutely butchered it and it um, the ball went down the other end and they were scored against it. They, 
Yeah, I think Alan Richardson said as much in his press conference that their ball use is what killed them and has been killing them sort of week after week. Uh, Jim, what about from a Richmond perspective? What things do we have to change from the game last week to be competitive this week and come away with four points? Um, what I'm hoping that we don't do is look at the West Coast game and, look and say, oh, I think we need a tall forward or another tall back or something like that and change our game plan just because our game plan got found out by a tall team. I feel like if we just play our normal game plan, you know, with the smalls and the pressure, I feel like we should just stay, you know, get the win. So now just don't change anything. Don't don't be abrupt. That's a good point. Not too not too reactionary. Just let it play out. And if we play the Eagles again, change it, change things to suit yeah. them and panic this week. Do you think though, Cotro, that the loss, while we don't, well, we shouldn't make a knee-jerk reaction from changes. Do you think it's going to make them change their mentality about how they approach the West Coast game to how they approach the St Kilda game? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I mean, I don't. It's hard to know how much on the sort of the weekend was mental from our point of view, and how much was sort of just brilliant play from the Eagles and strategy and a few other things. Um, because I thought that we were really down and flat against Adelaide, for example, when we lost to them. But we weren't we weren't too bad against the Eagles in terms of an intensity point of view. But then again, um, they'll be they'll be fired up this week. They will. I want to make a statement, and um, and they'll be hurting because at the end of the day, the knock that a lot of these nuffies from the opposition uh, into us about is that oh you know we haven't beaten the teams from last year's top eight like it's relevant but um they'll be they'll be annoyed because we've got St Kilda and Essendon coming up um and you know it's a few weeks before we get to challenge ourselves against against a really good opponent but they just won't want to drop it I think I'll be I'll be pretty pissed off and Jim what do you think the chances are of us seeing a repeat of what St Kilda did to us in round 16 last year when they belted us is there any chance that that's going to be one of those days again Look, never say never, but I, I really don't think so. Um, I honestly think just that was an absolute fluke last year. They would not repeat that. Like everything went right for them. Like they've even they even said after the game, like I, they don't think they'd they'd be able to repeat that. So, well, I'd say no. Fair enough. And uh, Kotcha, you made a good point before about the top end players for St Kilda. They got some quality in there. Um, how dangerous do you think that you know the Seb Ross and Jack Stephen and Jack Steele can be if they all find the footy? They've got the ability to cut us up. So do we have to pay some good attention to them? Yeah, absolutely. And if any, and if we play like we did on the weekend, just letting them waltz out of centre you know, stoppages, we'll be in all sorts of trouble. So absolutely. And those boys, you really want to have your starting positions right and make sure that you're not allowing them to do the run and carry because that's what we want to do. But yeah, so their midfield pace is something that could trouble us. Yeah, it's, uh, I've, yeah, I've always rated their midfield, but like you said, it's kind of everywhere else around them that it falls down a little bit. We'll move on to mm. some other, other key matchups. Uh, first one, I'll get your thoughts on Jim. David Asprey versus Tim Membry. Now, Asprey got, had a shocker last week, let's be honest. How do you think he's going to yeah. bounce back against Membry? Um... I honestly, I think one on one, Aspie will have him covered, and even if um, Memory can somehow, you know, get get a free kick here in there or get a good lead, I still think, I, I don't even think Memory would hit the hit the shot. So, <laughs> Memory will worry Aspie too much. Kotto, you reckon Aspie's going to set himself for a big one to bounce back? Yeah, you'd hope so. He seems like he's 
all of our defenders actually they never really get beaten, and if they do, they they tend to to uh, come back pretty strong. So yeah, I've got faith that he'll get it done. And at the other end of the ground, Cotro, we've got Jack Rewalt versus Nathan Brown. Now I'm I'm not sure if Carlisle's set to come back in from injury or not, but even if if he were, I still think Brown would be the one to take him. How do you see that contest panning out? Well, if Jack plays, because as we know, there's that um, potential sort of that bump that he did uh, that's injured him a bit. So if he plays, I think that, and assuming that he's fit and healthy, I think he'll, someone like Nathan Brown is a player that Jack loves playing on because he's so crafty and and sort of agile with his mind and the way he moves around. A, a big lumbering backman like Brown, I think he'll have a field day. And the midfield battle is probably where it's going to be won and lost, like it is virtually every week. Now, Jim, what do you think about our midfield? And the effort they put in last week, I think, wasn't really acceptable. Are you expecting everyone to step up? Um, yeah, like think I want to um, try to repeat of last year. Like they don't have a bad midfield themselves, but I feel like um, Koch was underwhelming. Like, well, not Edwards wasn't, but like Martin wasn't at his like his best. Like, yeah, I feel like. Like, had even, like, he kicked the first goal, but it wasn't as influential as the week before when he kicked four. I feel, yeah, I feel like they want to get on top early and make sure that, like, by half-time, the game's over. Make sure they go in, they need to um, dominate the contestant possessions because that's what really put us to the sword last week. Yeah, they've just got to get their hands on the footy and work hard. I'll be, I'll be disappointed if we don't work both ways this week. Uh, a redhead has just sent through a message saying that Carlisle will be back this week. It was on the news, so... That makes it a bit more interesting, especially if Rewalt is out. And we'll, we'll start talking about the possible changes now. I think uh, Townsend might go to Carlisle. <laughs> yeah, I think he did the job on him last time when yeah. we played him back at the G. Uh, he, did, he did a pretty good job. But the club's obviously taken a bit of a cautious approach to anyone who's under any kind of injury cloud by the look of it. If Jack Rewalt mm. goes out, Cocho, who comes in to fill a full forward void? Um, Do we try and get Tom Lynch over on loan, just in preparation? <laughs> yeah, maybe get the mid-season trade happening, yeah. just get him across. Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I haven't been following sort of which tall forwards have been performing in the VFL, but... Um, oh, well, Callum Moore was one in... that had a crack in the, v- in the NAB Cup or whatever it's called down. He was okay. Yeah, yeah. I really like Callum Moore, yeah. Yeah, someone like him, or even, you know, you could bring in Chole, but he's been playing down back, hasn't he? So, not I've sure. Had, every time I've watched Chole play forward, I've always ended up, at the end of the game, thinking he just looks completely lost and doesn't sort of understand <laughs> the running patterns. Whereas when he's been the number one ruck, he is quite a good player, because he, he's always where the ball is. He doesn't have to sort of read the game too much. Mm. But yeah, if Rewalt's out, that um, will make it very interesting. I mean... Does Garthwaite come in? I know he's played as a backman, but as a junior, he was yeah. a forward the whole time, so that could be another possibility as well. But, uh, Jim, what other what? possible changes do you think we could have? Um, I feel like um, Broad, I feel like he's been quiet last couple of weeks. I wouldn't mind seeing a change there, to be completely honest. That might be where Brandon Ellis might come back. Um, and maybe, uh, like, Lloyd's one of my favourite players, but I feel like he might be due for a rest as well. But I, really, I, I can't really see... I was going to maybe think Preston might be coming back, but after I saw the Richmond press release earlier that he won't be... I'm not sure who would be the change for Lloydie. And um, as you were saying earlier with um, Butler and Castagna being a bit 
out of form. Maybe one of them goes out for Stengel, who's, who's been in red-hot form lately as well. Yeah, I really like Stengel. I'd like to see him get a game this week. And if it was up to me, I'd probably drop Butler for him. Um, but you could almost flip a coin. Uh, and Cotro, I mean, yeah. Sam Lloyd, he could come out and I would say Menadu could be the, the straight in for him. Yeah, yep, no doubt. And I was, I thought that Lloyd was putting some good games together and he, he was pretty down on the weekend and it was, it seemed that every time we kicked it long and we needed a good one-on-one contest, he lost it. So I was, um, just based on that, I'd, I'd have Lloyd come out and Stengel, um, oh jeez, I, I wish we could roll Rioli in, but uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks away, unfortunately. And I mentioned the thing about like, oh, I feel like Lloyd's playing a bit more um, midfield at the moment, so I feel like it's a bit difficult to see where like he, his best position's at, or because um, I feel like he really was good the last couple of seasons as a forward. Like, as a, he was never really good at the one-on-one. Um, marking contest, but he was really good in lead. But then with um, our forward line going so well last year, he got forced to try and get a spot in the midfield. But I just don't feel like it's really his go. I don't feel like he's really um, earned his... Like, not earned, but I, don't, I just don't really see him as a midfielder. Yeah, he had a couple of good games in a row recently. But, yeah, I think he's going to struggle to play consistently good games in the midfield as opposed to when yeah. he's playing up forward. But I still think credit to him for turning his game around to, to getting a gig in the midfield. I think that's a, a huge effort. Um, yeah, it'd be hard work. Even like, I know Miles' name gets thrown around all the time, but even someone like Miles could come in at some stage to try and help with the contested ball. Um, and the other player we mention frequently, well, I do anyway, is Nan Curvis. I still think at some stage soon he's going to have a rest before the bye. Um, with just, that wrist injury. Yeah, and I just think, you look at all the players he's played against in consecutive weeks. He's been, you know, he's had... Gorn, Grundy, uh, Steph Martin, now uh, Nick Nat, and the list goes on. They're, they're not easy people to try and match up against, and I just I don't want us to burn him out. I'm just really scared we're going to do that. So could this be the week and bring in Soldo? Possibly. I was actually surprised we didn't do it last week. I, I kind of felt like we would almost Sounds concede like. the hitouts to Nick Nat because of how good he is. Um, but Soldo having that extra height advantage might have been able to half the contest a bit more. And I just I thought that might have been an opportunity, but Nank obviously put his hand up and was right to go. But potentially this week, but Hickey's not no slouch of a ruckman either. Is neither is Bell Chambers next mm. week. So it's like, well, when do you pick the moment to do it? You might see both of them play. You might see, if, especially if Jack misses, you might see um, Nank playing more of a forward role just halving the contest, and, and Soldo might take the ruck. I think we did try that a couple of times last year. I think it was against Gold Coast, where Nank kicked three or four. And I think that's got merit too, that Nank, you know, he's such a big body, he's a competitive beast. If you put the ball in the air, he's going to crash the pack and bring it to ground. So that gives Jack a drop out as well, and it means that Nank doesn't have to do all the rucking. So I definitely think there's merit to that thought. Um, yeah, hopefully we can give him a rest sooner rather than later. Yeah. All right, before we wrap up, we'll get a prediction from you both. Uh, so, Jim, we'll start with you. What's your prediction and margin for the game? Um, I think Richmond will run out uh, winners by at least, uh, four, I reckon, 42 points. Fair enough. And, and I think... Oh. Uh, I just thought Caddy would be on top with at least four goals. Very nice. We'll take that. All right, yeah, um, yourself. Yeah, I think that uh, it'll be... 
a bit tighter than what people think, um, especially considering we've had those two tough games. I think for 30 points. And I'm um, I'm hoping we just bounce back and, and get the four points, but I reckon yeah, it'll be somewhere between 25 and 30 points. So just a, a reminder that the VFL women's team is versus Williamstown at Williamstown on Sunday, May 27th at 2 p.m. The VFL boys are versing Coburg at the Swinburne Centre on Saturday 26th of May at 10.45am and followed by the seniors at the MCG on Saturday at 1.45pm and we are live on Foxtel at 1.30. Cocho uh, and Jim, thank you so much for coming to the show, guys. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Michaels. Go Tigers. Thanks for having me. Yep, go Tigers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers.